It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. noise is the compulsive chatter of 600 light-bellied Brent geese gathered here on the mudflats of Dublin Bay, just 200 yards from the main Clontarf-Sutton Road. The small grey and black geese seem little troubled by the steady stream of midday traffic as they feed here on the mats of green algae exposed by the ebb tide. Looking through binoculars, my eye is drawn to certain birds that have a distinctive yellow band on the right leg. These, for me, are very special Brent, and seeing them revives recent memories of a vigil in a small tent on a strange and barren landscape and of exciting goose chases in a helicopter across frozen lakes. Brent geese are born in the high Arctic. Every spring, around mid-April, they leave Dublin Bay and along with geese from other estuaries around our coast, they fly 3,000 miles north to Greenland and the islands of the Canadian Arctic. There, in a race against time and the elements, they nest and rear their young during the short Arctic summer when the sun never sets. I was part of the Irish Brent Goose Expedition, organised from the Zoology Department UCD, which set out for Bathurst Island, 600 miles inside the Arctic Circle. We were to undertake the first detailed study of the breeding behaviour and habitat of Irish wintering Brent. Those with the responsibility for welfare of our Brent geese were fully aware of the need for this research. The population had fluctuated in the 60s and 70s, due, it was thought, to the harsh and unpredictable nature of the Arctic climate. In extremely cold summers, they may not breed at all. Yet we knew little or nothing of this, the most critical stage of their life cycle. In the early 70s, a small number of geese, banded by the Canadian Wildlife Service, unexpectedly turned up here in Ireland. This was the vital clue which led us to Bathurst, a non-inhabited island connected to other lands by solid ice most of the year. Temperatures edge just above freezing only in June, July and August, when the snow briefly clears from the ground. As I look out now, across towards Hoth Head, and I can see our Irish wintering Brent feeding here on the mudflats, I think back to a day in May 1984, the 31st of May, when a light aircraft fitted with skis, deposited six of us and our 70 crates of food and equipment near a small inlet called Hooker Bay on the west coast of Bathurst. As we watched the aircraft disappear into the clouds, several niggling doubts remained, despite our careful preparation. Would we find the Brent which are secretive and highly dispersed on their breeding territory? With no previous Arctic experience, would we learn to cope with the unfamiliar and rugged terrain? Either ways, for the next three months, our only dependable link with the outside world would be a small, battery-powered radio transmitter.
Thank you. Uh, Hooker Bay to other stations. Uh, we have uh, first arrival of Brant geese. Repeat, first arrival of Brant geese today. Also snow geese, so please look out. Over. Mobile here, we are receiving you loud and clear. How are things over there? Over. Everything A okay here. And we had a good and we have a grid reference there for this please, over. Grid reference. Um I'll have to check that up on the map for you. We are on the we are on the west shore of the large lake. Um about halfway along at its widest point, about four hundred yards up from the shore. Over. That's good enough for us, okay? Is everything okay with you? Over. We're all pretty shagged out <laughs> and the area seems to be pure mud. Uh, not much growth, certainly not as rich as around Lunar, Lunar Lake or Brent Lake. Over. That's pretty bad, alright. Everything else okay? Over. Uh, we'd like some potatoes, some fresh meat, uh, three vegetables and and uh, stewed prunes for afterwards, please. Okay, we're sending that out by Brent Goose. Okay, we check on that, all right. Okay, they're here for me in the morning, okay, over? Okay, sleep well, over and out. making our way across the lake at present and the going is quite difficult. We're sinking about 10 inches into the snow which has drifted on top of the ice. The ice that we've chipped down through to, to make a, a hole that would fill with water to use for our cooking and washing has indicated that the, the ice is at least four to six feet deep sitting on top of the, the lake and the melt is just beginning so the snow on the top has become slushy and underneath there's a film of water between the snow and the surface ice. We've, because of its resemblance to a moon crater we've christened this lake Lunar Lake and it's about I suppose about a quarter of a mile in diameter. There are there are patches in the areas where there are birds. I mean, this is just bleak snow. Tiny little areas clear. Whereas normally up saw these that areas... area from a height of about 100 feet. And from that sort of angle, you aren't going to see the various clear, clear patches very in the way. Very few. And we were trudging through snow nearly knee-deep yeah. some of the time. And we were... It, it was... With regards to the amount of time it took us, it took us two men a whole day. I think, with regards to the amount of life that there is up around these ridges around here, we were wasting our time and the expedition's time. Well, I think uh, Michal said, I don't know if you, you obviously don't agree, but that, okay, that you had a hard day, you got over there, there's very little happening, and you're not likely to go over there tomorrow. We're not likely to. And waste more time, so at no. least you have established it's a negative result, but yeah. at least you can write it up as a negative result and say, that doesn't look like a... It's a very barren area or something, as we found over on the but it's only Table Mountain. It's, 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 very it's barren. only barren yeah, we, because it's snow at the moment. Uh, Hooker Bay, Dusek. Yes, uh, Hooker Bay, reading you. Uh, Roger, you can go ahead. I know they're still on the air, 
Okay, thank you very much, Frank. Our message is short and brief. We are, uh, as you know, observing Brandt, or hoping to over the next few months, on Bathurst Island. And we would be very, very interested to learn from the other groups in the High Arctic of observations uh, of any number of Brandt throughout the summer, particularly the arrival, uh, if, if any of the expeditions would, be, would have this information, we, we would be extremely grateful. Um, sorry, Hooker Bay, we did not copy what you wanted us to watch out for. Over. Uh, okay, uh, Alexandra Fjord. What we are interested in is any observations of Brandt, which are small, dark geese, and uh, uh, we, are, we are studying them on, on the west coast of Bathurst Inlet, uh, Bathurst Island, and we would be particularly interested to learn of uh, any observations on Ellesmere Island or other locations in the High Arctic. Do you read me? Hooker Bay, roger, roger. We um, realize that you want us to look out for birds, and uh, a couple of us are bird watchers here, and we'll make a list for you, and perhaps give it to Frank when we leave. Over. No punting and a ptarmigan in the hand. Uh -huh. <laughs> so this is the first bird in the hand on Bathurst. Oh, oh God, Bathurst. he's fabulous, isn't he? he can, I, can I get my camera? Get the camera a shots and my camera and get everything. Oh, he's beautiful. Is he worth chasing? <laughs> God. Poor fella, but he's got two females to look after. Yeah, he'll be free in a minute. What I want to do is actually get some of the picric acid. Do we have some? We do, yeah. So Vincent can tell. Yeah. This is super Can I smell him for a second? Strong smell, no? Yeah. Smells nice. We saw our first brand there on the 6th of June, which was a first summer bird, um, flying on the ridge overlooking the valley, and it landed beside the lake and departed again soon afterwards to the northwest. Uh, Greg and myself, who, who's located the bird, had no idea that this might be a good breeding location. But uh, I think it was about four days later, five days later, um, yourself and Terry, I think it was, that located the actual pair on the lake. It's a, it's a marvellous um, valley, river valley, which flows into the lake, which widens out, and then a, r a river actually flows from the lake to the sea. So it's extremely productive. Of, uh, mud, areas of mud and sedge around the lake shore and I would say from the time we've arrived to the present it has had the highest concentration of birds, not only the brand but other species which would be familiar back home in Ireland like the turnstones, grey plover, little wading birds or shorebirds which we get characteristically in Dublin Bay in winter. Um, but again the Brent have been recorded there, we've seen up to six birds uh, on the shores of this lake and Vincent and I when we were watching, Vincent actually located the breeding uh, female sitting on the nest which really was, was one of the most um, enjoyable moments. In terms of the pair the critical times would be when predators are around and I would hope that we would be around to observe some of these uh, invasions on their territory. Um, Terry and Greg have, have seen the Arctic fox 
near the nest. Uh, we have seen um, long-tailed schools flying around, and the long-tailed schools seem to have territories within the area. So it only takes a, a, a moment of lapse uh, with the females off the nest for the predators to swoop in and steal the eggs. They might not actually kill the Brent themselves. But the, the one thing that applies to Brent more so than most other species is that it only gets one crack at nesting. Um, in other words, if it does not nest um, successfully the first time, it hasn't got the time. The season is so short that it won't try and repeat. So effectively you have failed breeders. It's the 9th of July, the 39th day of the expedition. I'm sitting in our observation height about 200 metres away from the Brent Goose Nest. Temperature today is about 14.5 degrees Celsius, wind speeds of 1 to 2 knots, and the cloud cover is about 9 tenths. It's a very, very mild day here on Bathurst. The melt has progressed rapidly. At this stage, there's only small traces of snow in some of the river valleys and patches of snow along the north-facing slopes of the, of the hillsides. The ice on the lake is continuing to, to melt. Uh, ice cover is about 40% at present, but in the background I can hear the shearing and the cracking of the ice as the clumps of ice break off the central ice flow and fall into the water, and then they float free in the open water for a while. We've moved the hide closer to the Brent goose nest so that we can get a better view of the uh, activity around the nest. It's now 24 days since we calculate that the first egg was laid by the female Brent, so it means that the hatching of the young chicks is imminent. We expect it to take place in the next two or three days. So we're very anxious to capture these early moments in the life of the young chicks and to record the behaviour of the male and the female as they take care of them. We suspect that as soon as the chicks hatch, they will move onto the river, uh, which is very close to the nest, and that there will be a gradual migration down towards the lake because the uh, safety of the chicks will be increased if they're out on open water, uh, away from possible predators such as the foxes that we've seen around. We've upped our observation program at this stage. We're now mounting a continuous observation for as long as it takes on the nest, and we're due an observation, it's now 11.15am, and we're due an observation on the, on the geese. Uh, now I can see the female, she's sitting on the nest incubating, and she has her head low on her back. The male Brent is out of view at present, he's, he's somewhere down along the river. Tenth of July, twelve thirty hours. The wind today is about four knots. Temperature is around twelve degrees Celsius. Uh, it's another bright day, a good day for observing from the hide here. Last night at about one forty-five a.m., Vincent and Terry went down to the Brent goose nest to check on the condition of the eggs. Uh, they found that the eggs were in an advanced state of chipping. They were able to go close enough to the nest to actually hear the young chicks chirping within the eggs. We're now about five yards away from the Brent. It looks as if she's not she's not going to divert. Yes, she's just got up off the nest. She's walking away from us with her head curved back towards us. She's making alarm croaks. She's walked out into the middle of the river. 
bobbing her head up and down. She's quacking. She's obviously alarmed. We've now got a perfect view of the nest. There are two eggs on the nest. Two very light brown, whitish eggs. Uh, the nest is, is made up of down feathers from the breast of the female. It's just in a small little hollow here in the shingle beach. Now the female is, has walked about 10 yards away from us. Again, she's dipping her head up and down and uh, wagging her tail. She's beginning to uh, just dip her beak into the water now. It's sort of a displacement activity. Again, the head bobbing is a, as, as a half-threat uh, gesture. She's now swum across the river to the other, to the other bank. There's a chipping on that egg there, see that? That's the one I spotted. Yeah. That's the only one with chipping, yeah? No, that's the only one. I've only checked three. She's got this one the wrong way around. <laughs> You're criticising oh, her position. Why. Oh, it's coming out. Oh, God. That'll be hatched tomorrow. Can you see the head? Or can you see the beak? No, it's sorry. The beak is over there. Yeah. Oh, so I even screaming. I have to listen to every one of them now just to check. She's extremely alert. Yeah. Very, very vigilant. In fact, she's becoming a male. But you know what she was doing again when they, when they, uh, she, when they came down to the river. First of all, <coughs> she started to cross, and one of them followed her. The other didn't, and she came back towards the one that wasn't crossing with her, and started to bob her head up and down again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're doing something. See the gosling yeah, down the side there. Yeah. 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 She's, well, she's swimming in the water now. And so are they. So yeah. It's their first swim. They're yeah. off. They're off down the river. Yeah. That's an extraordinary sight. Five and a half hours old and they're gone. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Gosh, they're tiny. They really are. And they follow her now. Lovely sight. So they'll go down to daddy. Yeah. The family will be really reinforced. It's the 12th of July around 2pm. We've moved the observation hide down closer to the lake because we're trying to follow the family of Brent as they make their way along the lakeshore feeding and roosting uh, as they go. The goslings are now quite active and the parents can move about. They've deserted the nest. They don't look as if they're going back to that area. And at present, I'm looking out through a heavy mist, about 50 yards, a little more, maybe 80 yards away from me, I can see the male and the female sitting fairly close to the lakeshore. And the female has her wings slightly outstretched. And I know that underneath those wings are the two goslings that hatched yesterday. We've followed the geese down along the river, uh, down to the lakeshore, and throughout the night, 
since they've hatched, we've been carrying out observations, we've been watching them, and we've been noting the behaviour of the goslings. They seem to have settled into a, a, a steady routine of behaviour at this stage. The male and the female keeping very close together now, uh, almost invariably within four or five yards of one another. Uh, the goslings running around feeding and they're gradually making their way up and down the shore uh, feeding on the small grasses and sedges that have emerged through the mud over the last week or so. Uh, one small incident of, of note occurred during the night. A fox approached the Brent. The response of the Brent was to go out onto the lake water. Uh, they floated out. The little go goslings followed the two parents out onto the water. But they were bobbed about by the waves still tiny little creatures, they're only about five or six inches high, uh, but this was the automatic response to a threat from a predator, it's to take to the water, because the water represents a certain amount of safety, and again it will be even more important as the weeks go by, because very shortly now the adults will begin to molt, and they will be flightless, and the water will be their only defence from quite, quite a number of predators. Today dawned quite misty and very windy. You can probably in the background hear some rain falling on the observation hide and the wind billowing through the plastic uh, that, that, the, that it's constructed of. Difficult for observations. We're now coming close to the end of this stage of the study. The eggs have successfully hatched. We have quite a lot of data on the behaviour of the, of the adult birds before uh, before hatching, during the early courtship stages, the nesting stages, the hatching of the young, and indeed the introduction of the young to water and to the world at large. And now we're beginning to scale down observations here because a certain routine has developed. We know that from now on there'll be a feeding pattern in which the parents will try to allow the goslings to feed as much as possible because they must grow rapidly now if they're to be in a position to migrate back to Ireland and back to uh, our part of the world uh, within six weeks. So they must put on quite a lot of weight, a lot of energy. So most of the day will be spent either resting or feeding along the lake shore. So we're going to move our centre of study at this stage from our nesting pair to the flocks of non-breeding uh, geese that we know exist somewhere to the north of our camp. They've been spotted on a lake about 10 miles from base camp and at this stage we're going to move our own camp up to that area to carry out studies on the feeding and the behaviour of these flocks of non-breeders as they approach the molt period. I'm just sitting down beside the Arctic Tern net. The two birds are over my head. <laughs> I'm having to duck. My, I brought my jacket right up over my head because they, they, one of them has hit me on the back of the neck. Another one's hit me now. Uh, I'm moving away from the nest. It's getting a little too close for comfort. They're, they're, they're hitting me. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't worry about it. They're just lining in and coming up in one after the other, about a foot over our head. I would say more like a millimetre at a time. They call them sea swallows. Yeah. You see just how manoeuvrable they are. They're marvellous. And how fearless. Good gosh.
Well, Frank, we would just like you to inform the wildlife uh, superintendent that we have had a polar bear movement uh, through Hooker Bay within the last few days. And we have had one polar bear in our camp, but we have no problems. Uh, you may be able to pass that message on. Over. No, we have not seen him today. We had him around for the last two days, and we have seen uh, at least seven polar bears within the Hooker Bay area. Uh, but there seems to be no uh, threat to the camp at the moment. More scaring there. Right, more scaring. What do you have It's just coming up to 1am in the morning now and I'm outside our mess tent watching through the telescope the bear that we frightened away earlier this evening. He, uh, after we um, made a commotion just in front of our camp, the bear turned and fled down to the sea, went down along the river, uh, down to the uh, head of Hooker Bay, swam across the narrow band of water that's uh, between the shore and the ice, climbed up on the ice, and now the bear is on the far side of the, of the bay, down in the water among breaks in the ice, down in pools in the ice, and it's diving down through the water and feeding on what we suspect is kelp. Just at the moment I can see the bear, its head is just standing up above the ice and it's uh, munching on the weed that it's uh, been diving down to drag up off the bottom. Uh, it's 1.15am and the visibility is deteriorating quite badly now. I can uh, scarcely make out the far side of the bay. Uh, I can still just see the head of the bear appearing up among the ice, about a mile and a half away. Even with the telescope in this light, very difficult to, to make out what it's doing. Now it's getting so cold at this stage, coming up to half one, that I'm, I'm going to end the observations because the visibility has got so bad and I'm going to head up to the uh, sleeping tent because uh, it looks as if we're going to have a fairly active day tomorrow. It's Sunday the 29th of July, looking out over Hooker Bay with the telescope. At the moment I can see four polar bears. There's a family party of three, a mother and two cubs, and one solitary bear, uh, about 400 metres between the, 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 uh, the, the solitary bear and the family group. The mother and the two cubs are out on the ice in Hooker Bay, about, oh, about two miles away from where we are, uh, inland from Hooker Bay. The mother is walking out on the ice again having to cross occasional pools of water and the two cubs are following after her. The cubs are probably uh, yearlings, they're quite large at this stage. 
the solitary bear that we've seen is on a small headland that's sticking out into Hooker Bay. Just uh, this afternoon, it's now about 5pm, around 3pm a field party from the camp went over to Brant Lake to check out in the condition of the family party of Brent which we've been studying there and as they came over the hill looking down on the lake they saw a bear curled up about 300 yards away from our observation hide. Oh, the clipboard is chewed. <laughs> Vincent, Terry, the clipboard has been chewed away. And he took he took a nibble out of your uh, posture posture drawings. Oh, I must must put a claim on this. Not on the clipboard, but on the drawing. Probably rather like the pictures then, but as he chewed and said, "Oh, that's very nice." I wouldn't destroy a masterpiece. I wonder is it a comment though on the art or on the scientific intent of behind the art? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what was going through the bear's mind at the time. But you can see here on the side of the of the plastic the uh, claw marks, almost yeah, as if yeah. he climbed up on top of the hide yeah. to flatten it down. I guess he must have taken a few swipes or a charge at it. Um, the poles, you can see they're pretty well distorted. Yeah. The, the bolts have been cracked and broken and the thing has been totally uh, distorted in its shape. Then he must have had a good chew at the actual hide itself. You can see the plastic, yeah. the windows. Just down here. Yeah. Chew marks in it. Uh, that's what they say. They say that bears are, are, are quite prone to uh, going in and chewing lumps of plastic. Yeah. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen that. We saw the, you know, the, the, the plastic post out near base camp yeah. was also chewed in half by a bear. And the plastic bags were chewed yeah. open. But uh, certainly this guy had a good chew. And of course the hide was fairly well um, staked out with the, the, these nine inch nails. And they were ripped up out of the ground as well. The stay ropes, the, stay ropes, the guide ropes oh, yeah. and the nails all pulled out. XMH26, this is Hooker Bay reading it out and clear. Roger, go ahead. Okay, we'd like to inquire about um, helicopter time around the 20th of July, if possible. What we will be using it for is uh, banding, uh, uh, our banding program for the geese during the flightless period. Uh, we have an allocation of about five hours for late July, and I was wondering whether the helicopter would be available around this time. Over. Uh, helicopter, Hooker, this is Hooker Bay. Could you veer somewhat to the north at this stage? We can hear you from uh, from the ground. Over. Okay. Can you see him? Yeah, we see him now. He's about 300 yards now. 
back and pick it up for the drive. For to for yeah. work. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Perry, the French have already moved up that way a bit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they're starting their move back. Well, that he's way. able to drive them by actually uh, staying them on the water and just look behind them. Yeah. You know? Of course. Yeah. We flew down along the windward side of the lake where the ice had been blown up by the wind onto the far side, a very narrow strip of water on that side of the lake. We moved our way down along the lake and we, could only, we only found about four pairs of snow geese, again with goslings, about an average of four to five goslings per pair. We then flew across the central ice flow back over to the side of the lake that we came from and we found the flock of Brent uh, on the shore of the lake, about five to ten meters in from the edge of the water, uh, the, the pilot then banked the helicopter around, uh, drove the geese down onto the water, and we're now slowly driving them in front of us, like we drove the snow geese, down in the direction of the nets. Uh, I haven't had a chance to estimate the number of brent yet, but I imagine it's around 40 to 50 uh, birds in this flock. Again, they're doing the same paddling motion, using their wings as paddles, because they can't use them to fly and paddling along in the water. We've almost reached the far tip of the, of the lake where the uh, inflowing river comes down into Bearpaw Lake. Just about 300 yards ahead of us, I can see Vincent Mihal and Terry uh, lined out uh, where they've, they've, they've erected the net. The net is now coming into view. I can see the pen that we're trying to aim the geese towards. It's a sort of a, a, a fish net that's made into the into a, a corral with a long arm of net stretching out from the corral and the idea is to maneuver the geese along the arm of net down into the corral which can then be penned off and then we can take our time uh, picking out the geese and putting the leg bands on them we're now about 200 yards away from the pen Michal and the others are concealed along the ground. They're ready to help to herd the geese the final few yards into the net when the time comes. But at the moment, the helicopter is doing a, a fine job of moving them down along the lake in the direction of the net. And the pilot is, is confident that we'll be able to direct them into the net without too much difficulty. We haven't had an opportunity to uh, accurately count the number of branch yet. It's <laughs> rather confusing to see them swimming along in front of the, of the helicopter, um, weaving in and out among each other, a very tight flock that's very difficult to count. But we estimate that there are at least 57 branch in this particular flock. Now, we're about 100 yards away from where the nets are. Uh, the others are flat out on the, on, the, uh, on the terrain so as not to make the branch scared of moving in the direction of the net. I can see Vincent taking photographs of the Brent and the helicopter as we approach the net. Now the, the geese are moving over towards the ice flow that's away from the net. They're moving towards the centre of the lake. I think they're aware that there are people on the shore and now they've, they've uh, split, uh, split desires. They want to keep away from the helicopter but they don't want to move towards the people. So it's a question of the helicopter getting behind them and slowly directing them towards the net. Now the helicopter has moved right beside the ice. In fact, I can feel the resistance of the ice against the, uh, against the floats of the helicopter. We've 
turned the flock. The flock is now moving in the direction of the net. Uh, if they keep on this line, they'll be uh, home and dry in a very short time. We've moved into the shallows. I can see the sandy bottom of the lake now. A lot of choppy waves around the helicopter caused by the blades of the helicopter creating small windstorms in the vicinity of the helicopter. Now the birds are about 20 yards from the shore. Now they've suddenly made a dash for the shore, a little to the right of the net. I'm not sure whether they've spotted the net yet. It's a, a green fish net. doesn't blend in perfectly with the brown tundra. It would in a normal situation, but up here in the Arctic where there's so little vegetation, it just doesn't blend in. But the geese are moving dead on for the, for, the, um, for the net. The helicopter will have to take off the water shortly because we're running out of water. The geese are up on land. They're running as a flock. They're running directly for the net. The uh, Terry and Vincent are moving in towards them now, directing them into the net. Michal is doing it from the other side. They're running straight for the net cleanly and the helicopter is maintaining its position on the edge of the shore. The corral that we've made out of net is about 30 yards in. The geese are running straight into the corral. Uh, Terry Carruthers is right behind them. They're in. They're closing the net behind them. The geese are caught. It's, uh, it's been a successful drive. We're home and dry. They're lovely. They really are lovely. Um, we'll get on with the other. Yeah, there's yeah. that guy there, second from the right, he knows what it's all about, he's quite calm. <laughs> he's done this before. Look lads, I've done this before. Go Terry. It's a bit tough. Uh, loosen that slightly Terry please. What if I was just taking out a gun? Do you want the gun? He's an Irish guy. I'm ready for him. Oh, that keeps the yeah. string is annoying. Yeah. Okay, Vincent. Jump! Jump! You're on with the lip band on it, Terry. Don't worry, lads, you'll be well used to that by the end. Ah, shit. <laughs> it's, it's a very old leg band, it's worn off the, uh, the number and the address. You'll have to re ring it. I don't believe. Very old. Would you re-ring that or would you put it oh, in yeah, the Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. See? Can't see a thing, it's just warm completely. Look how thin it's got. What age would you reckon? God, he must be a good age. Well, you can just make out the beginning of a digit, a couple of digits. Eight, yeah. yeah. Can't even make out whether it's American or British. Look how worn it's been dangling yeah. down around his leg. Right? Oh, he's an old timer. Oh, he's oh, sure. <laughs> Did you deliberately go for that one? Yeah.
Back here beside the Clontarf Sutton Road on a November day with fleeting bursts of sunshine, I'm using a telescope to read the codes on a family of Brent that I've just spotted here about a hundred meters away from where I am. It's a family of two adults and there are five juveniles. Now I can see the yellow leg bands. There are Birds are walking in among the stones and the algae, picking at the green algae that is their food at this time of year. And I can make out one of the adults, the code is OHA. In the Arctic we banded 146 Brent geese in all. Of these, 55 were goslings. And these birds with a potential lifespan of up to 20 years will be flying back and forth from the Arctic to Ireland every year for up to perhaps up to the year 2000 and beyond, who knows. So having a banded segment of the population will allow us to build up a large volume of information on the movements of this very important species of goose. Now, I can just make out another of the juveniles. It's a code is OJB. The sun is just catching the yellow band and giving just enough light to make out what it is. Altogether in the flock in front of me of perhaps up to 300 to 400 Brent geese, there are 20 of our banded geese. It's quite extraordinary to think that watching these geese just beside the main road heading out to Sutton, that these geese have flown 3,000 miles from the Arctic to winter along the shores of Dublin Bay.